strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. In tonight's episode, I'm going to tell you, Robin, the story of the mad gasser. As in farts? Well, it's not that kind of gas. Oh, okay. But, but yeah. So we're going to set the scene. The year was 1944. World War II was raging. Oh, that kind of gas. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Well, yes. Yes and no. Yes and no. Gotta wait for it. Cows? So we're... It was not a methane explosion. It's not like a cow patty situation. Sorry. Okay, continue. So World War II was raging, and on the cover of every paper across the country were updates from the front lines. Well, not on all the papers. In one small Illinois town, a different kind of story graced the front page. On August 31st, 1944, a man named Urban Rafe was awakened during the early hours of the morning by a strange odor. He felt nauseated and weak and suffered from a fit of vomiting, suspecting that he was suffering from some sort of domestic gas poisoning, right? I mean, like, he's thinking, like, this world war II, right? Like, like he's, you know, he doesn't know what, but he knows that he's not feeling well. So Rafe's wife tried to check the kitchen stove to see if there was a gas leak. Okay. Maybe there was some problem with the pilot light or something like that, but found that she was partially paralyzed and unable to leave the bed. So she couldn't move her body from the waist down. So she was paralyzed from waist down, and then he was vomiting, He's vomiting all over the reaction. place. Wow. Then later that same night, an anonymous elderly woman, who we will refer to as Miss Smith because she her name is not mentioned anywhere, Miss Smith calls okay. her local police station in Mattoon, Illinois, to report that someone had entered her home and came into her bedroom, where this unknown person then pumped her room full of a sweet-smelling gas that made her nauseous, temporarily paralyzed her legs. Though her daughter, who was also in the house at the time, reported no such symptoms, nor did she see or hear anyone in the home. So this is one night. This is from August 31st to September 1st, 1944. So during these overnight, they have two attacks. And this is hot news, you know? So this is a very hot story for a small town, and the local media pounced on it with a ferocity of a lion to a fresh kill. They reported the story, and the front page headline said, Anesthetic Prowler on the Loose. <laughs> this doesn't sound so great. <laughs> right? That would make me freak and out. Be careful, everybody. There's an anesthetic <laughs> prowler on the loose. Right. This is like, you know, plastered all over the front page of their newspaper. And it also reported that Miss Smith and her daughter were the first victims. It's like everyone's knocking their windows, sealing them tight. Yeah, I mean, like, if you say first victims, that insinuates that there will be more. More, yeah. Right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like a comma. It's like it's just waiting for the rest to follow. So the whole town is going crazy. Mattoon, Illinois, is a town of just 17,000 people. In this town, the Journal Gazette was universally read. That's the paper in the town. And the subscription rates are 97%. So 97% of the people in the town get this paper. But the story did not stay in the small town for very long. The next day, on September 1st, there was a third reported incident. A Mrs. Carney of Marshall Avenue in Mattoon, Illinois, reported smelling a strong, sweet odor around 11 p.m. At first, she dismissed the smell, believing it was from the flowers outside of her window. 
but the odor became stronger and she began to lose feeling in her legs. Mrs. Carney panicked and her calls attracted her sister, Mrs. Reddy, who was in the house at the time. Mrs. Reddy also noticed the odor and determined that it was coming from the direction of the bedroom window, which had been open the entire time. The police were contacted, but no evidence of a prowler was found. At around 12.30 a.m., Bert Carney, Mrs. Carney's husband, who was a local taxi driver, who wasn't home during the time of the attack, came home and found an unidentified man hiding close to one of the house's windows. The man fled, and Carney was unable to catch him. Carney's description of the prowler was of a tall man dressed in dark clothing, wearing a tight-fitting cap. This description was reported to the local media and became the common description of the gasser throughout the Mattoon incident. After the attack, Mrs. Carney reported suffering from a burning sensation in her lips and throat, which were attributed to the effects of the gas. In the days following the Carney attack, there were half a dozen similar attacks. Wow. This is just... That guy's busy. One night, like 20... He's like... Oh, I could probably do like 12, 12 houses in a night. Also... Tall, wearing dark clothing, and the thing over his face. <laughs> Narrow that shit down. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> so like I said, in the days that followed, there were half a dozen other attacks. Though none of the purported victims were able to provide a clear description of the prowler, and no clues were found at the scene of the attacks. The first specimen of physical evidence was found on the night of September 5th when Carl and Beulah Cordes, who lived on North 21st Street, returned home around 10 p.m. After spending a few minutes in the house, they noticed a piece of white cloth, slightly larger than a man's handkerchief, sitting on the porch next to the screen door. Beulah picked up the cloth and smelled it. Why the fuck would you do that? Mm -hmm. It's like, I found a weird piece of cloth on my porch. I'm going to sniff it. Well, the fact that they they just got home around 10 p.m. means that they were out having a good time. So, so they were intoxicated, is... and I think they're like, oh, what is this? Let me smell this. They weren't so you think Carl and Beulah were like out on the town? Yeah. I mean, a raucous night in Batoon, Illinois, 1944. If you have to come out at 10 p.m., you were out doing something. They were getting wild. So she comes home, and she picks up this cloth and smells it for whatever bizarre reason that you would ever smell trash. And as soon as she inhaled, she became violently ill. Wow. She described the effect as being similar to an electric shock. Her face quickly began to swell. She experienced a burning sensation in her mouth and throat and began to vomit. As with other victims, she also reported feeling weak and experiencing partial paralysis of her legs. I'm thinking that this hank, like, well, this piece of fabric that was bigger than a handkerchief, I'm thinking that it was somewhat dry when she picked it up and it still gave that fume because I'm sorry, if it's, if it's a giant slopping piece of wet fabric on I'm, I'm not going to pick it up and smell it because it's you know but i'm thinking that it's like it's a dry piece of cloth so she's like oh what is this is this mine and she smells it under no circumstances and boom immediately like what is on this piece of cloth like under no circumstances am i smelling no that's not my first inclination when i find a weird piece of clothing <laughs> yeah i'm like what is that <laughs> it's like what is that what do you it do with that? It certainly isn't to smell it. You, like, kick it with your shoe? Especially if it's damp or moist. Yeah, but in this in this Zero case, chance. I'm not thinking that it's actually damp or any, like, or wet or of any kind. I'm thinking that she's, she's picking up a dry piece of cloth that has been submerged in some type of gas. And it's just, it's astounding to me on how it's stuck to that cloth for so long if they're coming home at 10 p.m. like how long was that piece of cloth there for you know i think it was moist 
You think it was moist? You think it was wet? I do. I don't think it was wet. I just think it was damp. And she picked it up and she smelled it like a creep. What's great is that like you're saying the word moist and I don't mind that word, but there's a lot of people listening. Like, I know. Oh my God. So I'm saying it because in my mind, this is a disgusting activity. Cringe. <laughs> the thought of her picking it up and smelling it is so gross and foul to me that moist is the only way that I can like, actually You know, what if it was covered in urine? You're just still picking it up, you know, like, oh, it's like it's on my front porch. Anything could have been on your front porch. And you're still like, yeah, it's oh, not the smallest town in the world. There's 17,000 people. You got some weirdies. Which is why they are those people that come home at 10 p.m. in a small town. It could be covered with a lot of things. I'm just saying, under no circumstances, one, am I touching it without like a stick. No. They or just tongs. Seem, they just two. seem, I'm just suspicious of this couple to begin with. I mean, it's 10 o'clock, Robin. It's not like 4 a.m. Like, you know, they're not like. They don't have to stay home. They're allowed to, like, go to a, a movie or to a dance. Do you know how much damage we can do before 10 p.m.? Yeah, but we're old, so we start <laughs> drinking at noon. Exactly. So they're probably We're brunching bitches. I mean, not anymore, but I remember brunch. Pour one out for my homie brunch. Oh, brunch. I remember afternoon snoozes. Anyway, so <laughs> this Beulah character... It's sniffing shit that she shouldn't be sniffing. <laughs> and she's feeling weak in the knees, you know, feeling like crap. So she later comes up with this idea that the cloth had been left on the porch in order to knock out the family dog, which she <gasps> usually slept there. How rude. So that the prowler could gain access to the house unnoticed. Oh, what a bitch. I know. Like, who attacks the dog? I know. So he's going to put the dog out. So we can get in the house and gas them. Well, anyway. what's funny is that it's like, oh, this dog always sits on the on the porch, which means they have been watching this house for a few days if they know the schedule of the dog coming outside and stuff like that. So not just that, but where's the dog? Where's the dog? But also, if they're not home, why would the dog still be outside on the porch? Exactly. Where the hell's this dog? Anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions. But that also just means that he's been scooping out the place for a while. He or she. Yeah. It could be a woman. He or she. Could be. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So there's some other evidence found there at the scene. So in addition to the cloth, a skeleton key described as looking well used was reportedly found on the sidewalk adjacent to the porch, along with a large, almost empty tube of lipstick. What? Yes. A skeleton key? Are you telling me that they're like back then? There was a key to open every fucking house? I don't think so. Oh. But there's a skeleton key, a piece of cloth, and a lipstick. Woman. Or or the guy used the the woman's lipstick to coat, because the wax in a lipstick makes things slipperier, and so maybe they they needed it for some reason. Who knows? Who knows? Or, you know, maybe he likes to gas people and put the lipstick on them. Maybe he likes to put the lipstick on while he's watching them be gassed. I mean, because here at the end of the day, let's really truly think about this crime, right? This is a person who is gassing people, but not stealing anything, not touching them. There's no fondling. There's no manipulation of the victim. So it's a purely voyeuristic crime, right? Like it's really just to watch them freak out and suffer. But when you wake up, and one guy's vomiting and the other woman is paralyzed from waist down. Are they looking around the room to notice a man that's in or a woman in the room watching them? Or is it something that like they only do from the windows? 
He would open the window. I think this all takes place from the outside. From the outside. So he'll gas it and he'll look through the window. Right. So the Hmm. cloth that she creepily sniffed. I can't. It's like a, it's like people who sniff their fingers, you know? (laughs) And like think that and think that you don't see. It's like that Molly Shannon sketch oh, yeah. from like the early two thousands where she would put her like, fingers Molly under her armpits Gallagher. and smell it. Mary Catherine Gallagher. Yeah. I can't really know. It's like the same concept. It's like we all know that you're sniffing it. We all see you doing it. It's creeping us the fuck out. And when your first choice is to smell a strange object, there's something very weird about you baseline. So Beulah, I think you're a strange duck. Not just because your name is Beulah. Keep your fingers and everything reaching just your face. Thank you. Under no circumstances is a person sniffing their fingers subtle. I'm just saying that. Everyone knows. Everyone sees you doing it. If you're sniffing your fingers, we know that they were somewhere they shouldn't have been really recently. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know I'm right. Anyway. So this piece of cloth that was found there at the scene was actually analyzed by authorities. And they found no traces of chemicals on it that could explain Beulah's reaction. Oh, that's ridiculous. Unless it goes away after a certain amount of time. Maybe. The same night, a second incident was reported. This time on North 13th Street at the home of Mrs. Leonard Burrell. She reported seeing a stranger break in through her bedroom window and then attempt to gas her. Public concern over the alleged gassings quickly rose. The FBI became involved and the local police issued a statement calling on residents to avoid lingering in residential areas and warning that groups set up to patrol for the gasser should be disbanded for reasons of public safety. Does no one lock their windows anymore? I mean, have there always been locks on windows, or is that like an I mean, invention of the 50s, 60s, 70s? I don't know. I'm asking. I truly don't know. I think my apartment building was built in the 1920s, and I got but. I have new windows. But so, those could have been yeah. added any time, you know? So people are starting to gather to, like, look out for the gasser. And the cops are like, can you please not? We can't be having mob justice. So the chief of police, C.E. Cole, also warned concerned citizens to exercise due restraint when carrying and discharging firearms. What? So the town is really getting... Their knickers in a twist. What? You know, we've got like mobs of people patrolling neighborhoods with firearms. So during this period, there was also an increase in physical evidence of attacks being reported, ranging from footprints allegedly being discovered underneath windows to tears being found in window screens. Over the next few days, more attacks were reported by Mrs. Smith's neighbors and more and more headlines flooded the papers, such as Mad Anesthetist Strikes Again. And even when there were no reported attacks, the paper continued to report on the odd story. Is this where, like, the neighborhood watch first came into play? No, but I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't, this is not the story of the first neighborhood watch, so. I know, but you would think. That might make a good story, but that's not what this is. These are more like angry mobs, like, trolling the neighborhood with guns and bats. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. But, like, but at the same time, it's, like, it causes every neighbor to look out for one another and to, like, there's always someone paroling and, like, checking out, like, weird cars that drive by and, like, all that, you know, stuff. So I'm going to write this down. Yeah, people are on the lookout. And the newspapers, it's a continuous feeding frenzy. Every day, there's new headlines. And not just in the local papers. The big city papers start to pick up on this. And Chicago runs a salacious story about it. And in no time, citizens of Mattoon could read about 
the danger in their town three to four times a day in different papers. Oh, wow. Over the next two weeks, 33 residents reported the same terrifying experience. They would awaken in the middle of the night with a sweet smell that made it difficult to breathe. They reported choking, vomiting, and temporary paralysis. Many also reported the sight of a man fleeing from their homes. Who could this be? What is the motive? Right? Like, like we said before, is he just an anesthesiologist who loves watching people be incapacitated? Or some veteran who was so disturbed by the use of gas in warfare that he returned home to relive his wartime scenarios? Police had no suspects. But the case was garnering national attention. The story of the mad gasser graced the front pages of magazines and newspapers nationwide, fighting for attention against the upcoming presidential election, and not to mention coverage of the war. Even Time magazine wrote a piece on the mad gasser, stating that he moves through the night as nimbly and secretly as a cat, squirting a Swedish gas through bedroom windows. Oh, Jesus. Perfume perfume comes from the butt. (laughs) Also... Also, I think it's more than one person. I think there was multiple gassers. You know, while the police were stumped, you know, and people across the country felt the need to wire Town Hall with their suggestions. But in the city of Mattoon, the investigation was underway. A 10-man police task force was assembled, but no one could find a single trace of the prowler. The state police were called in for assistance. The police also enlisted the assistance of the Army's Chemical Warfare Service oh. to help them determine what this mysterious agent might be. That's crazy. But citizens grew restless and armed vigilantes hit the streets, set to apprehend the mad gasser. But no such man was ever found. So superheroes, civilian superheroes, came out with capes and bats and crowbars and shovels? Sure. I mean, you can call them superheroes, vigilantes. You know, I mean, they're out, they're out on the street. They're, they're acting out. Oh, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I misheard you. I thought that people were out there trying to find it, like, like the neighborhood watch crew. Sorry. I know you're like really into this neighborhood. I know, watch I know. Story. So I'm, I'm thinking that constantly in my head, and so I turned your vigilantes into like a superhero in my head for some reason. Forgive me. Go on. They're just not superheroes. I assume that there are a lot of overweight middle-aged men and stained wife beaters with bats and wrenches and the occasional firearm. Yeah, I I did not picture that in my head. So let's just move on. You're picturing the Punisher and I'm picturing Homer Simpson. (laughs) We're in very different places. Regardless, no such man was ever found. This sounds like just another true crime cold case. Mattoon is a railway depot. Perhaps the culprit just left town quickly, leaving to ply his trade elsewhere now that the heat was on. Perhaps. Or perhaps the answer is far more sinister. In the days and years that followed, no such attacks were ever reported again. And this story has come to be known as one of the most profound cases of mass hysteria in the 20th century. The idea is that as the reports became more and more sensational, more and more reports came in, and the whole story just snowballed. Looking back, it became apparent how this type of situation could arise. You may remember another incident like this from the Middle Ages that we talked about. If you remember the dancing plague, <gasps> yes. where people would find themselves dancing against their will. In those cases, many as 400 people would dance. Some even dance themselves to death. This particular case is a testament to the power of the newspaper to influence not just public opinion, but also public health. 
Without press coverage, the hysteria would never have broken out. Also, on September 12th, the Mattoon police chief, C.E. Cole, released a shocking statement. According to the police investigation, the sweet smell that was reported was from the nightly wind shifts that caused the gas from a nearby war plant to waft into open windows. Honestly, I was going to say, <laughs> in my head, I was going to say that um, every household and the woman that was in the household went to a perf- perfume store and bought the same perfume right? and brought it home with them and used it. This, and that's why the, the handkerchief that was dropped was actually the woman's and it was so this hers and me, it smelled, you know, so I had that in my head. This makes me think of when I first moved to Fairlawn, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And they have the Nabisco factory. Yeah. Oh, everything smells like pancakes and chocolate chips. It just smells like sweet, Mm -hmm. like cookies. And I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And I was like, there's something freaky about this place. Like, it always smells like baked goods. Mm -hmm. So I guess not too far from the town, there was some sort of war factory that, I mean, this also kind of freaks me out because I'm like, maybe they. What kind of chemicals were you like? Yeah. The conspiracy theorist in me is like, what were they making? Maybe they were like testing gas on this little town, you know, like a large scale. I don't know. Anyway, but that's just me spiraling. Oh, no, I get it. I get it. A little further detective work also revealed that on the night of the attack of Miss Smith, she was reading a popular book by James Thurber called My Life and Hard Times. In the volume that she was reading, a character was introduced named Sarah Schof. Sarah was a bit of a manic, and she was quite fearful. She was a woman who never went to bed without the fear that a burglar was going to get in and blow chloroform under her door through a tube. Oh, shut up. Seriously? This character had a great fear of anesthetics. So you can see that perhaps Miss Smith read this story, went to sleep, awakened in the middle of the night, with this weird smell and has this subconscious fear already and in her sleep mind. paralysis. Yeah. And a little bit of sleep paralysis. And so, you know, psychosomatically develops these symptoms. So you can see why the Gazette jumped on the story as well. I mean, it was their job to check the daily police blotter and to report on the events of the town, which were probably usually pretty fucking boring. You have some people that read things and they have their subconscious kind of create a paralyzation and that was that but then you also have the ones that were violently ill but that just came from the actual smell itself from the factory because there is a smell yeah right the smell is real but there is is no person doing it yeah got it there's no individual so now people are just seeing things they're just seeing shadows they're not even seeing seeing things. things because as soon as these Attacks are reported. People start to patrol the streets yeah, looking for the gasser. And then therefore are seeing random people in their people. homes are seeing random people sneaking around in the dark. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, you can tell that the, you know, the newspaper didn't have ill intention when they reported the story. They were probably just like, this is a really cool story. Like if there's a gasser, that's a great story. You know, they're probably used to reading about, like, somebody got, like, their mailbox knocked over or a dog is missing. Like, what is the most interesting story in Mattoon, Illinois in 1944? Yeah. Probably nothing. And you're going to post that on every news outlet. 
which exactly also causes more hysteria so that yeah at a certain point they were getting four papers a day in the town and the headlines were all about how their town was unsafe so every night when you go to bed you you know you like wake up you smell this smell and also you've had been reading in these papers that it's like that it's a gasser mm-hmm. you know so you just automatically assume and even if you actually don't feel sick your mind might be like you know do i feel sick i might feel a little sick which causes your sleep paralysis exactly so when someone warns us about the power of the press remember the mad gasser of mattoon and how fear was struck into the heart of the nation by headlines that is the story of the mad gasser just another notorious narrative Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.